Congrats, Fiona. I found out like 15 minutes ago, and I was just like, the definition of hyped. Nico, her fiance, um, just, just get ready. You know, and, and marrying Fiona, you're going to inherit about 100 brothers and sisters who have just guarded and walked with Fiona and love her dearly. Um, and so now we get to, to love you. Um, so yeah, just, just hype for you guys. It's so good. Uh, good morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Luke 2.22. That's Luke with three twos, Luke 2.22. And we're going to be in uh, verses 22 through 40. If you have a thumb or a bookmark to spare, you can put it in Isaiah 49.6. We're going to jump over there, get extra credit for saving it ahead of time. Um, but yeah, for those of you that don't know me, my name is David. I'm, I'm excited to be with you guys again. Missed you guys last week, but honestly, we were having a blast at baptisms. I was dedicated to the grill. Uh, I wasn't dedicated to the sunscreen. And uh, thanks to the healing powers of, of aloe vera and the prayers of my wife, I have, I have recovered um, but I just want to say a word about the baptisms last week. I, I personally, I was, I was so encouraged. Um, what the baptism weekend did was it kind of gave us some space to interact with uh, some members of our church that we don't normally get to interact with and, and sit down and like talk face to face and not just be, I mean, don't get me wrong, like this is great, like looking at a preacher, looking at a worship band, but, but to get to take time and like look at each other over a, a hot dog or, or a hamburger, it was it was really, really special. And for me, honestly, like just getting to hear Kiara's story and getting to talk to other people in our church, like I started to realize like, like God is at work in these really like small but very beautiful ways in, in the lives of individuals in our, in our church. And I just want to like encourage you with that. Um, that yeah, like don't be afraid to take some time and just like talk to people that you normally wouldn't talk to. I'm, I'm guilty of it. I come into church. I got uh, the seat that I sit in and the people that I feel comfortable talking to. But I was just reminded last weekend, like, when I took a moment and I stepped out of like my normal circle and my normal routine, it was like, oh wait, like God is is really at work in our church and it's and it's really, really cool. So I just wanted to encourage you guys with that. Uh, I'm looking forward to to getting in the word with you guys this morning. Uh, this morning, as Justin said, we get to kind of wrap up uh, the beginning of the book of Luke, which we've been in for the last two months. And and really what these last two months have been all about has been the the birth story of Jesus, just to, to remind you, we, we heard about the, the prophecy that, that John the Baptist was going to be born. We saw God work in a miraculous way as, as Elizabeth, who wasn't able to have kids, and then was able to give birth to a son, John the Baptist. And then, and then the angel came and appeared before Mary. And remember, we just saw this beautiful response of faith from Mary when she said, just let it be to, to your servant according to your word. And then um, and then she goes and visits Elizabeth, and, and that's what I got to preach on last time when we talked about like how the Holy Spirit just kind of pops up uh, and speaks through Elizabeth just to confirm to Mary, like, hey, what you've, I'm getting a lot of noise up here, um, just what, what you've heard uh, from the Lord is true and that, that you're the mother of the Lord. And then, uh, and then last time, two weeks ago, when Justin preached, he got to preach on this miraculous verse, right? And, and things are crazy, like angels are showing up and, and singing a hallelujah chorus to some shepherds out in the middle of the field. And, and Luke's just been showing there's a lot of things that happen, and, and God is involved in this story. And so as we, as we wrap it up uh, towards the end of, of Luke 2 today, what we're going to see is that God, God still isn't done. Like there's more, more fireworks to come. Uh, and we have, we have one more episode of that today. And so what we're going to see today is kind of, kind of a capstone. Um, God's going to show us through Luke 
um, that if you still aren't sure who this baby is that's been born to Mary and Joseph, you're about to find out and you're about to have it confirmed. And it's going to be through a, a really cool cast of characters. There's two people we're going to meet today, Simeon and Anna. Uh, and we're going to see that they were born in the middle of a very chaotic time in the story of Israel and the history of, of Jerusalem. But God's going to speak something very clearly to them. And I think in his, his word that he speaks to them and through them, I think it's going to be a word uh, for us this morning. So, so buckle up. Um, if you've got your scriptures open to Luke 2.22, we're going to start there. It's a long one. Um, but patience and endurance are a virtue. Um, great, let's read, starting in, in Luke 2, verses 22. It says, And the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. They brought him up to Jerusalem, him meaning Jesus, to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law, and this is the sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple and when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, meaning Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence for all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84 she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Church, let's pray. Father, we, Lord, we're thankful to just get to come, Lord, and to, to look into your word, Father. We thank you, Lord, how you have worked through the first couple chapters of, of Luke, Lord, how we have seen that your hand has been uh, deeply and intimately involved in, in history, God, how your spirit has been moving, and Lord, how, uh, Father, you have much to say to us as we look at the birth of your son. God, we pray that we would have open ears, God, open hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning through our brother and our sister, Simeon and Anna, from, from 2,000 years ago, Lord. We thank you for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's, let's set the stage before we, we go too far. So, so, so Luke 2.22, it opens with, with some people that we know, three, so to speak, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And it says they've brought him... To the, to the temple. And so if you look in verse 22, it says this. It says, 
When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up into Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So basically what's going on here is just something that we're actually very familiar with. It's just a very Jewish version, which is a, a baby dedication. Uh, we got to see this about two months ago, right? We do this all the time when there's a new baby born into our church. We like to take some time and we set it aside and we dedicate this baby to the Lord. We bless the family and we, and we pray over this child. And, and so Mary and Joseph are doing something very similar. Now, it's a little bit more complicated for them uh, because they were going through, through the Jewish customs and the Jewish law. And so uh, there were certain sacrifices and certain purification rituals that they had to do. Uh, and if you're interested in checking that out, that's in Leviticus 12 and Exodus 13. Don't want to go into all those details. But this is basically happening probably somewhere between the lines of 30 to 40 days after Jesus was born. And so they've brought him into the temple to, to dedicate him. And so there's one thing that I don't want to gloss over. I want us to just, just pause and look at it really quickly together. And that's, that's in verse, uh, verse 24. It says this. It says, And to offer sacrifices according to what was said in the law of the Lord. And then it quotes the sacrifice that Mary and Joseph were to make. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So part of the, the Jewish custom and the Jewish tradition was whenever a, a newborn baby was born, that they would, they would offer a sacrifice as a way to to praise God and to, to dedicate this baby to the Lord. And it says that Mary and Joseph, they offered a sacrifice, and it doesn't say exactly which one, but they either did two turtle doves or, or two pigeons. Um, but now the interesting thing is if you actually go back and you look at the law of Moses and the sacrifice that it requires when a new baby is born, at first it doesn't say that you're to sacrifice two pigeons or two turtle doves. It actually says you're supposed to sacrifice a goat. Uh, now, a goat was one of the most expensive sacrifices and the most expensive meals that you could have as a, as a Jewish family. And so the, the law says sacrifice a goat unless you don't have the means to, unless you're too poor, and then you can sacrifice a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And I didn't, I didn't want to gloss over that. I wanted us to look at it really quickly together because we see something really important, which is from the beginning, our Lord has always been found among the poor and the humble in society. Even from the very moment of his birth, even from his affiliation with his own parents, he has been found among the poor and the humble. I know, thank you, praise God. Um, that he, didn't, he didn't come from a privileged or a wealthy or a powerful background. He came among the humble and among the poor. And I just, want us, I just wanted to stop there really quick because I, I want us to be wary in our, in our present day. There's this tendency that we hold up things that are shiny and well-polished and we try to say that this is Christ, whether it's you know, a really, really well-produced church service with lots of light and lots of cool ambiance, or whether it's a hipster pastor that for some reason always looks good, um, that, that we need to be careful. Don't worry, Jess, I'm not talking about you. Um, <laughs> I love you. Um, we just, we want to be careful when we hold these things up and say, this is Jesus, because we see that, that Jesus is always found among the, the poor, the humble, and the simple. And so, so that's where we find Mary and Joseph. They're bringing uh, they're bringing Jesus into the temple to do this baby dedication. And then in verse 25, enters this man named Simeon. Uh, now, Simeon, he's going to exist in Scripture for, for all of like 10 verses. We don't know anything about him before this moment. We don't know anything about him after this moment. Uh, but personally, I think, I think Simeon's amazing. He's something like, uh, like Rafiki off The Lion King, you know, the one that holds up baby Simba. No, it's a um, he, he's kind of like a Rafiki to me. Um, and though we've only got 10 verses about him, we actually, we know a lot. We know a lot about him from these 10 verses, and we know a lot about him because 
we know a thing or two about Jewish society in the days of Jesus. And so there's, there's three things that scripture tells us about him in verse, verse 25. Uh, the first thing is that he is, he is righteous and devout. Scripture literally says he was a righteous and devout man. Um, and that's a pretty big deal. Anytime scripture, especially in the gospel of Luke, calls somebody righteous and devout, because it doesn't even say that about the, the actual religious people of the day, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, they don't call them righteous and devout. And so when it says that, that Simeon is righteous, it doesn't mean like he's like, you know, like your, your average churchgoer, crossing his T's, dotting his I's, doesn't drink, you know, just got like all of his behavior, um, you know, like in check. It, it means that he's, so, so not in like a pompous way that he's righteous and devout, but he's, he's righteous and devout in the way that he actually has a heart that's after the Lord, his God. Like he's got a heart that's hungry for him. He's got a heart that wants God. He's not just trying to, to follow a bunch of rules, but he's actually got this like relationship with the Lord, uh, and that's what he's defined by. And so we know he's righteous and devout. We know that the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's the second thing, because the, the scripture just tells us right up there. It says the Holy Spirit was upon him, and, and that's something that should stop us in our tracks, especially if we've been paying attention through the first two chapters of, of the book of Luke. Remember back uh, to Mary and Elizabeth. What did it say happened to Elizabeth when she saw Mary? It said the Holy Spirit came upon her. Then the things that she spoke turned into prophecy and an affirmation of what the Lord was doing. And so similarly, when we see Simeon here, when, when Luke is saying that the, the Holy Spirit is upon him, it simply means that God is all up in this interaction that's about to happen. Like this isn't just a human interaction that's about to happen in the temple that God is involved in. So that means that what Simeon is about to say to us is very, very important. And so the first two things, he was righteous and devout. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And the third thing, and this, this is really important too, it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And this is actually the most important thing that we can know about Simeon this morning, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel because that's going to provide a framework for us to understand everything that he's about to say about Jesus. And so then that begs the question, what is the consolation of Israel? What is this thing that Simeon's waiting for? I don't know about you guys, but I've never met anybody who's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Like, I've never just been seeing a guy on the street, like, hey, what you up to? He's like, oh, you know, just uh, waiting on the consolation of Israel. Um, so this is something that's a bit unique, but it's also really, really important. And so first of all, like, what is a, a consolation? A consolation simply means taking a whole bunch of things that are wrong or broken and having them be made right. Uh, a very like, personal example of this, uh, when I was like, in, in college, I, I went and I flew on an airplane, and I did something that produces a, a bit of anxiety in all of us if we've ever done it. I, I checked the bag, right? If you guys ever experienced that, you go to the airport, you put a tag on a bag, you give it to the person around the counter, you're like praying it's not overweight, it's not. They put it back there, and then it just goes off into like the nether. And you're like, you don't know, like that thing might come back, it might not. You're like praying about it. Um, and so I did that. I, I flew on my flight, got off the plane. I went down to baggage check, and I waited. And people's bags start coming down, and I'm just you know, seeing everybody joyfully reunite with their bag. And, and I'm still waiting, and, and I'm waiting. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, the bag got lost. No, um, the bag came. It was the last bag. Saw it come down, I was excited. I, I run up to get the bag and I look at it and the bag's been absolutely like just torn to shreds. Just like things are hanging off of it. Like, you know, I got clothes hanging out of it. And I remember like as a kid, I used to want to ride those conveyor belts like into the back and kind of see 
what's in the back of the airport. And after this, I was like, I don't want it because obviously there's grizzly bears back there and they tear into people's bags. And so the thing was just absolutely destroyed. I took my, my bag to the desk and I showed it to the counter and they're like, that is, that is quite unfortunate. And so, <laughs> right, thanks. Thanks for the sympathy. Um, and so what they did is they, they looked up, they actually looked up my bag online. They, they figured out what it was. Uh, they determined the value of the bag and then they wrote me a check right then and there and said, here, we hope this covers the bag. Um, so that was, in a sense, that was a consolation, right? Like they, they took something that was messed up, something that was broken, and, uh, and they made it right. And so we see that, that Simeon also is waiting for a consolation. He's waiting for something broken to be made right. Um, but, but Simeon's not waiting for just any consolation, right? He's not waiting for a bag at the airport. It says that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, the consolation of Israel. So what was the consolation of Israel? What is this thing he's waiting for? Um, well, to understand that, we need to sum up about 3,000 years of Old Testament history in about two minutes. Um, so, so hold on. Somebody set a timer. Not really. Don't do that. Um, so a quick, a quick crash course through, through Old Testament history. If you were to take this, so take this time that we're looking at in the temple with Simeon, with Jesus, uh, and go back about 2,000 plus years, you're going to find another Jewish guy named Abraham. Now, Abraham, at the time, he didn't know God, but God saw Abraham, he chose him, and God revealed himself to him. And he made a couple promises to Abraham. Among those promises, he said, I'm going to make you into a nation, and then through your descendants, I'm going to bless the entire world. So not just the nation that I make you into, I'm going to bless the whole world. God says that to Abraham, right? 2,000 plus years ago, or before Jesus. Now, a thousand years after Abraham, so about a thousand years before Jesus, there's another Jewish guy. And this guy's name is King David. And David was, was known as like a king and a man that was after God's own heart. This was like God's man. This was God's king. And so, so his promise to Abraham had come true, right? He had made Abraham into a nation and to the Israelites. He had given them a godly king and King David. And the Bible says that God loved David. So God made some more covenant or some more promises to, to David. And, and so he had a couple. He said, you know, I'm going to give your family a throne and nobody's going to take this throne from your family. That means there's not going to be another family that's going to rise up and, and kill King David's family and take this throne from him. He says, it's going to be yours and it's going to last forever. I've given you a kingdom, and that kingdom also won't end. And he says, finally, I'm going to be faithful to my promise. My promise to you is going to be based off my goodness, my faithfulness, not off of yours. And so he gave those promises first to Abraham, and then he gives those promises to David. But there's a problem. If you know your Old Testament history, you know a few generations after David, sin begins to creep into the nation of the Israelites not only do they start to sin against God and they start worshiping other gods, they start to sin against each other and a civil war breaks out and the Israelites start to kill each other. And so it actually fractures into two kingdoms. There's a Northern kingdom and a Southern kingdom. And then these prophets start, start popping up on the scene. So this is like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Malachi, all these prophets that you have at the end of the, the Old Testament, they start popping up and they start telling the Israelites very, very flatly. They're like, you guys need to straighten up or judgment is coming. God is going to, to judge you, but the people don't listen. And so an army comes in and they wipe out that Northern kingdom. That's about 700 years now. So we've made it to 700 years before this, this time, only 700 more years to go, guys. Um, 700 years before Simeon, 500 years before Simeon, another army comes in and, and wipes out the, the Southern kingdom. And then they take them into exile, into Babylon. So that's where we have the stories of Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. And the prophets are still speaking, though their message is starting to change a little bit. 
Okay, and so they start to say these things. They say, judgment is still upon you. The things that are happening to you are from God because you haven't obeyed God. But they also begin to say, God hasn't forgotten those promises. Those promises that he gave to Abraham 2,000 years ago, those promises he gave to David, he hasn't, he hasn't forgotten them. And so you begin to get verses like Isaiah 40, verse 1. There's also Amos 9, 11 through 12. We don't really have time to read them. But there starts to be Old Testament after Old Testament passage where these prophets are saying, God has not forgotten his promises to you. Yes, you're being judged. Yes, you're being refined. But God is still going to be faithful. And so they begin to prophesy a few things, but two main things that I want us to focus on. They begin to say that God is going to restore Israel. Like, yes, you've been demolished. You've been wiped out. You've been sent to live in a land that's not your own, but God's going to bring you back. And then the second thing, and this is really important for our passage today, he's going to do this through a person through a person. So it's not just going to happen. There's going to be a person who's going to be key to, to what God is going to do in Israel. And not only is it going to be a person, but it's going to be a person from the line of David. Remember, he told David, your, your line, your throne, it's not going to end. So he's saying, I still have somebody from the line of David, and he's going to make all of this right. There's going to be a consolation. And so the Israelites begin to fixate their attention on this person that the prophets are talking about. And they begin to wait for him. And they begin to come up, there's a name for him in the scriptures. They begin to call him the anointed one. They begin to call him the Messiah. When you translate it into Greek, they begin to call him the Christ. And so everybody is waiting for this Christ. And so things begin to look hopeful for the Israelites. 400 years before Simeon, a guy named Nehemiah comes and he rebuilds Israel. And the Israelites are starting to, or he rebuilds Jerusalem. And the Israelites are starting to come back into the land. Things are looking good. And then something interesting happens. The Israelites are met with something interesting. Silence. Absolute silence. There's 400 years from the time of Nehemiah into the New Testament where people don't hear a word from God. There's not a prophet. There's not a word. They're met with silence. And then their situation goes from like really, really bad to kind of looking better. And then it goes to really, really bad again. Other nations come in and this time they don't they don't capture the Israelites, but they begin to oppress them. They colonize them. The Romans come in. They take over Jerusalem. They start to tax them. They start to make them abide by their laws. And so the Israelites basically start to go through an identity crisis because they're waiting for God to do these things that he promised them, but they just don't happen. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, they're waiting for the same thing. They're waiting for somebody to come and make this entire broken, messed up situation right. They're waiting on a consolation. And so what do you do if you start waiting for something for, for a really, really long time and it doesn't happen? You start to get a bit fidgety, right? Like some of us, we sit in traffic for like 10 minutes and we're already planning like this adventurous detour that our GPS doesn't believe exists because you're like, I know a better way. And then you end up sitting in traffic even longer and, and that's another story, right? But like we get fidgety and we start to come up with solutions on our own and, and that's what the Jewish people start to do. And so what they do, and they're, they're doing this around the time of Simeon, is they come up with like three different mindsets. You can almost think about this as like three different political parties to make sense of what's going on under Roman rule. And you're going to recognize some of them. The first one is the Pharisees. All right. So this is a way of thinking where they're like, we don't like the Romans, but we think the best way to make the best of the situation is we're just going to kind of tolerate them. We're going to try to build like our own little Jewish corner in the Roman society, and we're just going to try to survive, and we're going to hope eventually God does something. All right. So that's the Pharisees. The Sadducees, uh, they took on a different approach, which they said, we're just going to embrace 
Roman rule. We're going to see this as God's gift to us. So they began to look Roman. They began to talk Roman. They began to, to embrace Roman ideas. They were kind of like, all right, we're just going to assimilate. All right, like that's going to be our way. That's going to be our way of consolation. We're just going to embrace this new identity. And then there was a third party. You might not have heard of these. These were called the zealots. Though if you look closely in scripture, you'll see like there's people that are called zealots. Now zealots, these guys were crazy. They were like, we're going to get like a few of our friends. We're going to go out to the desert. We're going to get more followers. And then we're just going to start killing as many Romans as we can. So they were just like, they went like, the Sadducees were over here. The zealots were like over on 4th Avenue. They were like complete other camp. Um, they hated the Romans. And, and so their thing was, we're just going to kill as many of them as possible. And so what's the result of all this? Like this is the time and the day that Simeon is living in. What is the result of these three parties that are all basically tearing in three different directions. And the result is, is absolute chaos. You have three leading parties with very different ideas of what it means to have consolation, what it means for all these broken things to be made right. And what it's done is it's created a, a, a culture of chaos where basically everyone says, I know the best way to fix our own problems. I know what God wants. This is what we need to do. And this is where we find Simeon. We find him waiting in a culture of chaos. Um, but can we, can we just like relate to that for a moment? Because I think if we were to, to take a moment and just think about our own society and our own day right now, we, I think we'd say there's, there's probably just a little bit of, of chaos, right? Like <laughs> we laugh because it's true. Like politically, there's chaos. Culturally, there's chaos. Uh, religiously, socially, there's chaos everywhere. Like you don't even have to look far. Just think about the last two months of the things that have happened. Um, there's been mass shootings. There's been, been court rulings, not to mention there's still a war going on in Europe. And, and you can take any one of those things and you'll find five different opinions of, of what it means to fix that situation, even just within like Christian circles. And what it produces is absolute chaos. And to be honest, it's, it's quite exhausting um, because I think we're also expecting this consolation from God, right? Like we look at our world and we say, God, there's some really broken, messed up things happening right now. And I don't know what to do with them, but like we expect these things to get fixed. Like nobody looks at these things and be like, yes, we just want more of this to continue. We're like, no, God, something's not right here. And we think it needs to be fixed. And so we begin, we begin to wait a lot like, like Simeon. And so I think Simeon kind of has a word for us of what it means to wait in a culture of chaos for God to do something. Because so first of all, if you look at Simeon, notice something really interesting. He hasn't thrown his hat into the ring with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, or the Zealots. Scripture doesn't say he was any of those. And I think it's because at the end of the day, Simeon was neither. He knew at the end of the day for consolation to come, for God to take all these things and make them right. He wasn't going to provide a Sadducee. He wasn't going to provide a Pharisee. He wasn't going to provide a zealot. What was he going to provide? It tells us in verse 27 or, or verse 28, it says that he was going to provide a Christ. And so let's, let's just like preach that to ourselves for a minute. See, we know that we're in chaos, but we know there's, there's not going to be a politician that's going to come in and, and fix all of this. There's not going to be an influencer that comes in, and I, don't, I actually don't know what influencers do, but they're not going to fix it. Um, and even personally, like if you look in your own life, and, and all of us, we have personal chaoses going on. There's, there's not going to be a spouse that's going to make it all better or a job that's suddenly going to erase your problems. We have the same need today that Simeon had. We need a Christ. We can't go looking for, for consolations in all the wrong places. That could be a country song. Um, <laughs> 
we know that he's going to provide a Christ. And so Simeon is on this wavelength, and we have a lot to learn from him. He's waiting for this Christ. And so, so one day, Mary and Joseph, they bring the baby Jesus into the temple, and the Holy Spirit speaks, and he says, that's the one. That's the Christ that I told you about, that you weren't going to die until you saw this Christ. And so, so Simeon takes home in his arms, and, and he does something really, he says just some of the most beautiful words in Scripture, right? This is like that Rafiki moment I was talking about. Um, Verse 28, it says, he took him up in his arms and he, he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. So he says, my eyes have seen your salvation and you have prepared this in the presence of all people. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Zealots, they couldn't see it. Why? Because they were too busy trying to work out their own consolation. But Simeon could see it. Why? Because he was waiting and listening to the voice of the Lord. And then he says something really amazing here in, in verse 32. He says, this salvation is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, which, by the way, that's us. Gentiles meant anybody that's not Jewish. And it was going to be glory for your people, Israel. See, Simeon remembered something that all of the other parties, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Zealots, he remembered something that all of them forgot. And that's actually what we see in, in Isaiah, uh, verse, Isaiah 49, verse 5 through 6. Sorry. It says this, and this is, you're going to understand kind of why Simeon phrased these things about Jesus the way he did. If you look at Isaiah 49, verse 5, it says, And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Here's the important part, verse 6. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise, and he's talking about the Messiah, he's talking about the Christ, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. He says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. That was a prophecy about the Christ, and that's a prophecy that, that Simeon is almost quoting verbatim as he talks about Jesus when he's in his hands. You see, the, the zealots, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were so worried about this consolation of Israel. They thought the only thing God wanted to do in the, in the, in the world right now was to make Israel great again. Like, that's just what they're focused on. Like, this is, this is it, that God needs to make us as a nation good again. But Simeon remembered that the God's plan was never just to focus on Israel. In fact, that, that verse we just read, God says, that's too light of a thing. That's too small. That's too easy. Instead, he says, I'm going to raise up this Messiah. I'm going to raise up this Christ. This Christ. And it's going to be a light of revelation to everyone, to the Gentiles. Yes, glory for the people of Israel, but also for the whole world. See, God wasn't just trying to solve Israel's chaos. He was trying to solve the chaos of the world. And that's that's got to be good news to us. Why, David? Because the, the, the answer that the Christ was to Simeon's chaos is the same answer that's to us and our chaos. Let me say that again. The same answer to Simeon's chaos is the answer to us and our chaos, and it's a person. It's Christ. And so as, as we begin to wrap up and close, I just want us to ask ourselves, like, what do we, what do, we do with this? Like, how do we bring this, this episode, this revealing of the Lord's Christ to Simeon and to Anna, 2,000 years ago in Temple, how do we bring this into to present-day Brooklyn? Um, the first thing, and we've kind of already established, is just understand we, we live in a world of chaos. Um, I don't say that as a pessimist, I promise. Like, I'm, I'm usually a pretty optimistic person. I wake up, I go outside, I whistle, I say hello to my neighbors. I know that's like, you know, 
like insanity in New York City, but I do it. Like I'm, I'm generally a happy person. But at the end of the day, we live in a world of chaos. And that's not new to us. It's not new to Simeon's day. Even Jesus said, uh, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. Uh, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so, so what do we do with this? I just want us to, and this, this, this thought came to me while we were worshiping, and it's gonna be weird, uh, but just embrace it. I, I, want, I want everybody in here, just, just close your eyes for a minute. Just embrace the weirdness, just do it. Um, close your eyes. And I want you to take, take Simeon and Anna, and I want you to put them in this room. And, and there are brothers and sisters, they knew about the Christ before we ever did. I want you to put them in this room and I want you to think, what is the word that they have for you? And I want you to think, like, what is the chaos that you would, you would tell them about our own world? Like, Simeon, listen, like, you don't understand the type of things that people are telling us that we need to do these days. You don't understand where the world is going. You don't understand my life and the things that have happened in it. And I want you to think, what would they say to you? And I could guess that Simeon's going to do the same thing that he did back in that day, which he would raise up the Christ and he would say, he would say, this is, your, this is your light. The Christ is here. Don't miss it. You can open your eyes if you want. Thanks for, thanks for doing that. He's like, but many of us, we're still, we're at such a risk because we're just like the people of Simeon's days. We're so busy trying to work out our own consolation and say like, God, God, I got this. In fact, I just need you to like get behind my consolation plans. Um, but Simeon says to us, no, 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 this is the Christ. Don't miss it. A few examples of, of what this could look like. I mean, some of us, I know you come from like a tough background and you've spent all your life just trying to become this self-made person. Like that's your consolation to like pull yourself up by the bootstraps so you can look at everybody else around you and say, hey, I've made it, I've done it, I'm worth something. Or some, some of us, we might be trying to numb the chaos and the realities of our own world, whether that's through alcohol or sin or just becoming so busy that we can't feel, we can't think. And at the end of the day, for some of us, we're just trying to like be our own God. Like we're like, I can just work out whatever I need in this life. I'm my own consolation. And at the end of the day, it's just not true. We're gonna find that every single one of those things are gonna leave us still wanting, uh, still needing more, still feeling like things just aren't right. Um, and, and keep in mind, I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't look at the things of the world and be like, I just, God hasn't called me to care about these things. But I'm just saying like, when it comes to like our peace, when it comes to how we know that everything's gonna be okay, we can't look to our own efforts. We have to look to Christ. And so I wanna offer the words of, of, of Jesus in John 8, 12. He says this, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. There is a way to navigate this life, yes, even with all the chaos, even with all the darkness that still has light for us, and it's through Christ. And so if you're, if you're here this morning, and like that's new to you, and all you know is my life is so much chaos, and, and, and David, you don't know the things I've been through. You don't know the things that are going on like up here and in here right now. I want to say I, I hear that, but there is light for you extended in Christ. And if you, if you find yourself here this morning just like overwhelmed with the chaos of life. And like I said, like last week, I was just so encouraged to hear testimony of like how God still meets us in our chaos through Jesus. Uh, we're gonna have a time of prayer when I'm done preaching. Just like come up and just say like, all you gotta say is, hey man, it's, it's chaotic. And just like allow us to, to pray for you. If you're a Christian already in this room and you've been following Jesus for a while, but you just find yourself just absolutely decimated in our current cultural moment of like, I don't know what to do anymore. 
Um, I got Christians yelling at me that I got to act this way. I got Christians yelling at me like, that I need to act, act this way. And, and, and who knows what Rome is telling us, right? Like who knows what the world and the cultures are telling us. And you just feel exhausted. I want to encourage you, don't, don't leave him. Don't, don't leave your light. He's still there. We've been given it. And it's the same thing. It's always been there. It's not our political convictions. It's not our algorithms. It's not even our piety. It's always been a person. It's always been Jesus. Um, and my prayer for us, my prayer for us as Jesus followers this morning is that we will, we will stay in that light and that we'll ultimately become like the last character in our scriptures, Anna. I know I didn't have time to like dwell on her a lot, but I want us to look at her really quickly. Uh, starting in verse 38, um, she lived a long, very unfair life. You could probably assume there'd been plenty of chaos in Anna's life, but listen to her response to the Christ when she encounters him. It says, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. That's a politically correct way to say she was a bit old. Um, having lived with her husband seven years and from, from when she was a virgin, uh, and then she was a widow until she was 84. Some translations just say she was a widow for 84 years. She had lived a long time alone, but it said she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And so my prayer is that for those of us who follow Jesus, that we would be like Anna, that we would stay in that light and be able to show others that, hey, we walk in a light in this world that we we can bear up a bit under this darkness. I want to leave us just, just really quickly with Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 22. And I think this is just like, this is just the sermon from Scripture, from everything I've been saying of the value and the, the person of Christ in our present age. Uh, my Bible literally translates this section as the preeminence of Christ. So this is who our Christ is, and this is who he is to us in, in this current age. Uh, verse 15 through, through 22, it says this. He was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. And in everything, he might have, preeminence. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. I want to read that part again because it's really important. And through him to reconcile or to console all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So our Christ has come past, present, and future, and he's going to fix and reconcile all things to himself. He is the shelter that we walk in this present age of chaos and church, let's cling to him. Like I said, there's going to be a prayer team uh, once I get done, which is, which is happening right now. I'm going to pray to close us. And if anything, you feel like the Lord's just spoken to you, or if you find yourself struggling under the weight of your own chaos or the chaos of this world, like we just want to pray. We want to be able to point people towards Jesus. We want to be able to journey into the light of Jesus with you. Um, so whether that's on a global scale, whether that's just in your life, we want to be able to pray over it. Um, so church, let's, let's pray together. Father God, Lord, you know, you know our frame, Lord. Lord, you know this world, Father. You created it good and beautiful and true. 
But Father, sin and the powers of this world have plunged us ever more into chaos, God, but we don't want to despair. Father, we don't wanna just sit around and wait for an afterlife, Father. We wanna walk in the light of Christ now. Lord, I pray for those who all they've ever known is the darkness of this world, whether it's the darkness of anxiety or depression or the darkness of sin and bad decisions, Father, or the darkness of the pressure and the disappointments of life. Father, I just pray for them that right now, Lord, you would speak to them and that you would say, I have light for you and this light is found in Jesus. This light is found in the Christ. Father, I pray that you would give them boldness and courage to just go and find somebody to prayer with. Uh, Father, I pray for your people in this room that are called by your name, Lord, that we would cling to the light of Jesus, that we wouldn't wander from it, Father, that we wouldn't look to the things of this world in order to be our consolation. But Father, we would be like Simeon. We wouldn't throw our hats in the ring with the things of this world, but that we would trust in Jesus, our hope, our Messiah, our Christ. We thank you for your word, Father. We pray that you would use it in Jesus' name. Amen.